0: Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Today on the show, we're talking about The Matrix 4. It's finally here. We're going to talk about it. Uh, It's on HBO Max. If you haven't seen it, this will be a spoiler-free review, but excited to talk about what's going on in this exciting new vision from Lana Wachowski. Uh, We're going to talk about The Power of the Dog on Netflix. It's getting some Oscar buzz. It's a Western you might have heard of starring Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, It's... You know, it's something we're talking about, and we're going to talk about it towards the end of the show. Uh, we have some news about day and date releases following the pandemic. We finally got some aggregated data on whether or not releasing a movie in theaters at the same time as on streaming is a good idea. We're going to talk about that in the, in the middle of our reviews, in the middle of our show during our Death of Cinema segment. Before we get to all that, the news. And first off, a little bit of personal news. Uh, my co-host sounds uh, much deeper today. You got a bit of bass in your voice, Andy. What's going on?
1: Yes, that's true. I am just recovering from having uh, the COVID, uh, which I got for Christmas. That was my I'm Christmas so sorry. Present. Um, so I yeah, I started having symptoms the day before Christmas, and uh, yesterday was my last day of isolation. Um, I got through it. It, uh, it wasn't too bad, but it definitely stuck around for a long time. I had symptoms for about six or seven days. You um, still have
0: t- like taste and smell?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, okay. I think so. And now, and I'm also still has this lovely deep voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to b- lots of con- congestion. Honestly. Yeah. Listen,
0: like there's a silver lining everywhere. It's not a bad <laughs> voice. Uh, any, any, any hot tips for anybody out there? If they get, you know, COVID stay home, do you chicken soup, what's your...
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I I stayed at home. I rested. I played a lot of chess online. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, drink plenty of water. Eat a lot. So I it. What's really wild is everyone's symptoms are very very different. Um. You know, my mine were. You know, I had a lot of headache. I had a lot of sneezing. I was like dehydrated for the first like three four days. Like I could not drink enough water. Really. Uh, initially, yeah. And so oh. like, and everyone I've talked to has it has different. You know, some more severe, some less. You know, so you just uh, you don't know.
0: I had uh, I had a bit of a bit of a sore throat while I was in Houston over the holiday. And I, I definitely was like, I think this is I think this is COVID. <laughs> this is and it. Everyone in is. my life was like, you don't have a fever. It's fine. So I didn't go get tested. But for like three days, I felt crummy. And I'm like, I guess I'll, I'll never know. Or maybe I'll get it at some point. Fine. I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I'm glad you're feeling better. I feel weird that you're doing the show because I'm not sure your voice needs it, but I'm glad you're here. Let's talk about movies. Uh, first things first, at the box office, Spider-Man is continuing to crush it. This might be, i see seen something about this being like the third biggest film of all time or something the other day. I mean, it, 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 is, it is crushing still. Source past $600 million domestically. And uh, we got some updates on King's Man and The Matrix as well. Andy, what do you know about this story?
1: Yes, so now Spider Man, like you said, continuing to crush it, is uh, now the tenth biggest film and in history, and it's over six hundred million domestically and one point three billion worldwide, and it's the first movie in the pandemic era um, to reach a billion dollars. Usually, things like James Bond and the Fast and Furious franchise would have reached that number. but none of those did, and Spider Man has been the first one uh, as well. So it's it's a, it's a big deal, and it continues to. I mean, people are talking. It might end up, you know, hitting the two billion mark.
0: Yeah, um, it's it's bananas how well this movie's doing. I'm still surprised. Like, even though I went and saw it, uh, I've seen it actually twice now. I just watched it again this last week. Uh, I, I even though I paid the price of admission uh, more than once, and know other people that have loved it and gone and seen it and talked about it, like I'm still. Just baffled that like it just feels like it swung out of nowhere, right? We had we had super movies coming out before Spider Man. We had Shang Chi. We we had Eternals. We had Black Widow. Like I, those movies did pretty good. Um, I mean, really good even in some cases regarding the pandemic economy and where movie theaters have been and ticket sales. Uh, but this is just lightning in a bottle. I mean, my God, I like I, I'm still baffled looking at the numbers. Uh, additionally, Sing Two did really well. Uh, from Illumination Entertainment, made just under twenty million dollars uh, in in a couple couple of weeks, I think here domestically. That's, that's across the world. No, it's not across the world. I don't know. Encanto did pretty good, even though that's on Disney Plus, uh, available free now as well. You should watch Encanto. That's a surprisingly pretty good flick. Uh, and Matrix Resurrection and The King's Man both did okay, right? King's Man a little under five million.
1: Yeah, they're both uh, underperforming. Uh, Matrix <laughs> Resurrections, to. yeah, it's not uh, as we we know, is also available on HBO Max, so that's also hurting um, its revenue. Mm-hmm.
0: So you know, movies are, I guess, a unique space. We talked about this last week, uh, kind of between between spider-man uh or in the middle of spider-man like the, the idea that movie theaters are andy I'm getting, I'm getting caught in a loop here hold on dig dig me out of this please <laughs> well
1: so things things look but people only really... go see big stuff now that's, that's yeah, the deal yeah th- there is kind of a, a hidden darkness but behind this story and that's that um while spider-man is doing a ton of money Every like adult skewing um, drama or any any kind of regular movie that's not a superhero movie is tanking, not doing well. So we're looking at West Side Story, barely making fifty million. It was a hundred million dollar movie before marketing. Nightmare Alley, The King's Man, uh, The Matrix is also is wrapped wrapped into that. So it seems like the only thing that will bring people out anymore is superhero movies, and that it, in one sense that tells studios what to do, but it doesn't bode well for any other kind of movie
0: no and i think it's exciting in some cases you know spider man no way home does a lot of really good things from what i've heard sing 2 is a really good flick uh, but at the same time that can be you know a little suppressing for smaller features and depressing if you're ridley scott and you're mad that nobody went and saw the last duel <laughs>
1: Those uh, phones. You know, you're on your yeah, phones that, instead yeah, of watching it's, it's, the last it's millennials duel.
0: on their phones that are the problems yeah um it's an exciting time i think to be at the movies but for more, keep it here on Off Script. Our next story, Jared Leto's Morbius is getting pushed back. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love today, talking about amazing. this movie. Yeah. It's
1: amazing. So this is becoming the new Mutants. As we remember, it was delayed like three years um, yeah. in total. And this is half because I think this was supposed to come out in 2020, like summer 2020. And um it's been pushed and pushed and pushed. And it was finally going to come out at the end of this month. Late January, and now it's getting pushed another two months to April 1st. Um, this is largely because of the, the Omicron surge uh, in coronavirus cases, which is uh, projected to hurt theater. Then it's not just Morbius, a ton of stuff is getting pushed basically yeah. out, of, out of the winter window because of this. And again, this is what Spider Man overshadows like the reality for everything else.
0: If you haven't seen the trailer, uh, and you might have, because they've been running them for you know over a year now, this uh, does not look like the most confident.
1: It looks so bad. Comic
0: book property. Yeah, it looks pretty bad. Um, it, it looks in the vein of something like Venom, but like worse. <laughs> like Venom's already a stretch as its own film. They obviously have made a couple now. They're doing pretty well, but this one just seems like a far cry. And I got to wonder how star Jared Leto is feeling about this, right? Like it's just pushing back the inevitable more and more. Is he confident do, they think it's going to take off or are they worried? Like this is, this is not looking good. I don't know. uh, But, but I do know I've seen this movie catching a lot of flack on Twitter ever since this announcement. So it's worth talking about here. Um, a lot of stuff has been pushed around, uh, and, and, and Morbius is just a small part of that. And that's, that's been, A little surprising as well, I think. You know, here I think I've got my finger on the pulse of cinema and talking about Spider-Man being a surprise to me and then other movies getting pushed around also being a surprise to me. Shows that I don't. But uh, Morbius is one of, like, a lot of films that have been adjusting and shifting uh, ever since bigger films, uh, films they thought were going to do well, like West Side Story, have fallen off. Like, suddenly, big theaters and big big production companies are are afraid their movies are not going to pop. And morbius i think it falls a little bit in that category obviously it's not an academy award contender yet but uh it needs a little bit more juice and maybe shifting it'll help you know
1: yeah i mean i think when when theaters as a whole are doing better then even less popular movies will do better um so i can see that but like you know january february is notoriously when bad releases are where you dump stuff that you don't know where to put elsewhere um, and like I said, uh, the COVID surge is, is affecting a lot of this too. There's going to be a lot fewer people going to theaters.
0: Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, not awesome. And I don't, honestly, real quick, Andy, how red up are you on that? Can you give us a little bit of an unofficial on, update?
1: But on the, on the, um, on so the I, progression, I just did see that we had like a million cases in one day yeah, uh, recently. Awesome. So it's pretty. Yeah, it's so I can see why theaters are, you know, going to move it because it's, uh, it's bad right now. And yeah. every, like over the last two weeks, like over Christmas break, everyone and their mother got COVID. Like I know like five people who got COVID personally, including myself. I shouldn't, my, la- including, I shouldn't including, laugh. It's not funny. Like, I
0: might have got it. Yeah, Jesus. I, I thought I had it for a couple of days. I still might have. Like I'm not even sure. Um You know, not, it's, it's not awesome. Wear your masks, folks, you know, and, uh, if you're afraid of going to the theaters, tune into off script and we'll tell you all about, (laughs) all about what's happening, uh, at the movies. With that, we should move into our first review. Andy's graciously agreed to take the summary on this. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about this. I worry we Mm -hmm. might run long talking about this, so I'm sorry. Um... Do we, I guess we don't really have any spoiler disclaimers, technically, right? Like, But this is a tough no. film to talk about, so...
1: Right, we'll, we'll be as around. careful as we can.
0: Yes. Uh, with that, <laughs> Andy, please, take it away.
1: The Matrix Resurrections. You seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? we don't use that word in here so this is the latest follow-up by director lana wachowski um who was of course instrumental in the original matrix and the following two films this is coming some 21 years after the first film 17 years or so after the second and third which were released in 2003 it's been a while uh so where do we find ourselves so in our kind of opening act, we find Neo is again played by, of course, County Reeves is trapped in the Matrix, and um, but he doesn't really know it, and they have him set up as a, he's a game designer, and he's and they've essentially turned his life into a video game. He it's very meta. He's made he's his this big game that he's created is called the Matrix, and it's basically yes. his life. And so this is a really clever way of keeping him kind of what they call on this treadmill treadmill, because he he's, he's, he has dreams, he has like breakdowns, he has visions of like this whole other life. And when these happen, they say, oh, that's just your, you know, that's the video game you made. You know, you're like, you're bleeding real life. With you're you're the imagining game. it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, and he so he's kind of kept in this pen by a character called The Analyst, played by Neil Patrick Harris, who is his therapist, um, but it is also a computer program kind of keeping him trapped in there. Um, we also meet the crew of a new ship called the Nemesis and, and a bunch of new characters led by Bugs, um, played by J- Jessica Henwick. She has seen Neo in the Matrix. She knows, she knows he's in there, and she, she's like, we have to get, get him out. We have to rescue him, which being the first act of this, they do. We know this from the trailer. He gets out, and the real story then is the rescue of Trinity, who we find is also still alive, still trapped in the Matrix, and she also needs uh, to be rescued and that's all i'm going to get into plot wise um this movie is very very different from uh what came before it it's like i said it's very meta it's very self-aware um it's commentary a lot on the uh, the current state of film of nostalgia of reboots reruns a lot of that uh while also being a lot of we get a lot of matrix uh, fun stuff we we have fight scenes and and shootouts all those things the other thing this movie does is has it introduces a lot of new lore and new story and lots of new things that have happened within the world of the matrix which are really important and there's a lot to get into so that's that's our setup zach what do you think
0: so the matrix resurrections has been divisive if you've seen uh reviews we talked about it a little bit i think on our last show when we were talking about uh anticipating it 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 has a unique score on Rotten. Uh, it's it's currently at a 64 as record as we're recording this, uh, which is you know d- doesn't seem good. But what's important to remember ab- about the middle of Rotten Tomatoes, right? The closer you get to 50, is the more divisive a film is. People either like it or they won't. And this is one of those movies. <laughs> and in a really interesting twist, something I didn't see coming. What I thought would otherwise be a typical remake or reboot or or you know nostalgia cash grab actually turned out to be something really unique uh, like a, a slice of an artist's vision uh that I I really did not expect to be as bold and and different as it is I actually really like the Matrix Resurrections <laughs> and it's not because it's actually a well-made movie it's got some problems there's a reason yeah, people it. don't like it it for sure but like if you look deeper at what's going on here it's actually kind of rewarding and I and I want to dive back in and find out more
1: yeah so, so- so really I actually to to when yeah when I first saw it uh I did I just thought it was okay. I saw it in in IMAX saw it on the big screen. I thought it was fine um you know I liked it but it was just kind of okay. And then I I th- sat and thought about it some more and I watched I've actually watched it two more times. So I've seen it a total of three times <laughs> in like like a week. Watch and I and I've come to really really like it and there's a lot of really interesting things that are going on and that are attempted. there's th- and there's also things that go don't, don't work. Like it has it's got a lot of problems, too. Um, but I have overall, like, come to really like it.
0: Yeah. Lana Wachowski uh, returns to to write and direct The Matrix 4. Uh, the previous Matrix films were created with her sister, Lily Wachowski. Lana and Lily. Um, now it's just Lana. And, and I, I looked into it a little bit to find out where this kind of came from. Because it's, it's odd that we get a Matrix reboot, right? Like... I mean, there's lots of reboots out there, but The Matrix just seems like one of those things that was pretty close-ended, right? Like, it doesn't seem like we need a new one. Warner Brothers is big on cash-grab reboots. It's just strange that now, in 2021, in the age of reboots, here comes The Matrix, right? And what, is, what does that mean? And and Lana Wachowski created this film um, almost as a response to that idea. Uh, a, a while back, it came out that Warner Brothers had kind of planned to make this with or without her uh, and her sister, and they were kind of approached as, hey, if you wanted to do another Matrix, what would you do? Okay, well, Warner Brothers is thinking about doing one and we own the property. So what do you think? You're either on board or you aren't. And Lana Wachowski took the reins and said, okay, yeah. Uh, if now's the time to make another <laughs> Matrix movie, then I'm going to do it. It's, it's, it's our thing that we made and like I want to be a part of that. Lily Wachowski fell on the other side of that. Uh, they had recently had their parents both pass away within like five weeks of each other. Mm. And the two of them were handling that grief differently, so Lily Wachowski ducked on the project. She didn't want to return to the characters, but Lana thought, no, I I can make art here. There's something unique that I can produce. I say all of that to say that The Matrix Resurrections is not in so much like a nostalgia cash grab as much as it is like a critique of nostalgia cash grabs. Very clearly in the writing, Mm -hmm. in in, in its very plot, like in its very inception. And that's kind of rad, because The Matrix has always been a meta-commentary about society, right? That's what, it, that's what it was in 1999 when it came right. out. It was this commentary on cyberpunk and the internet and, like, information, what it means to truly exist. And in this weird way, like, it still kind of is. And it fits the time that we're in right now, in 20, 2022 now, but 2021 when I watch this. And, like, in that weird way, somehow... I think it works. Like I, it comes back around to this full circle thing in, in, in its thesis, in its, in its hypothesis that it poses about the world today, which is like, what does it mean <laughs> to, to to revisit something, to resurrect something, to come back to something that previously was gone? What does that mean in the age of entertainment? How do people consume that? Um, and I love that. And I feel like that's odd enough and meta enough that Andy, I should shift over to you, please. <laughs> t- yeah. Bring some, yeah.
1: Into this. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many, especially the first act, particularly where, where they have County Reeves. He's working at this this game studio, and they yes. want him to make another game <laughs> called The Matrix yep. Four, call, which is called so The Matrix I get, Four. Again, and there's a scene where they have all the game designers are all kind of spitballing, sitting around, and they're and it's commentary on like what audiences and exact you know film executives think The Matrix should be, and there it's yes, so, it's very clever because it's like, oh, we need bullet, we need the new bullet time. What's a new bullet time? And it's you know, Lana Wachowski could at this point could care less about kung fu and action and a lot of that. Cool, she's much more interested in in the characters, in their situations, in what makes them who who they are, and in and also in updating the world. And you know, we always want movies a lot of times to be black and white, hero and, and villain, and they kind of introduce ideas that the real world is not ever that clear. You know, in if you look at any big conflict, any like world war, there was. Lots of shifting alliances, tons of, of gray area, and that's kind of where we are um, in the in the in this world.
0: Yeah, uh, Lana Wachowski's kind of like growth and development as as a person uh, and as a director are are laid bare in this film, I think. Um, there are scenes where in the writing, like it's very explicitly explained that like you said, like a room full of developers, a room full of visionaries are sitting around going, well, what makes the matrix good? And, and one thoughtful woman with glasses says, the matrix is about philosophy, right? It's about all those scenes where they're talking about Nietzsche and, like, yeah. and this crazy out of body. That's what people want in the matrix. And then there's like two frat bro developers who are like, no, they want bullet time. That's what matters. We want action explosions. <laughs> And Neo is sitting in the middle of this scene, like, racking his head, like, what am I supposed to do with this? H- how am I supposed to pick this up and-, and do something with it? And it feels so appropriate as a reflection of Lana Wachowski's personal feelings about revisiting this. Like, it's this wonderful kind of meta-commentary baked right into, a t- like, a $200 million blockbuster action flick. And those developments from Lana Wachowski aren't all positive. Where I think the writing really shines is her ability to embrace this idea and kind of turn it on its head, almost like a Charlie Kaufman film. The parts where it hurts are going to be in scenes with action, where Lana Wachowski has stepped away from her previous offerings. She, I mean, she said in interviews, "I'm a different kind of director. I, I look at this stuff differently now." And the action, I think, suffers. It's it's not as good in the Matrix Resurrections. It's it's a little flat. Uh, I think I think they. I don't know. Like it just it just, just doesn't quite come together. No, I, and go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that's one of the, the criticisms. The action which kind of redefined the previous films is – it's a little lacking. But also, you know, those films redefined action movies. But now it would be much more different. That's an impossible test now because we have great action movies. We have John Wick. We have The Raid. Like we have a lot of these, you know, great uh, fighting movies, kung fu, gun fu, whatever – um, we didn't have that in 1999. You, that, that a lot of that was over, still being done over in Asia, and in Hong Kong cinema, and it hadn't made its way to the U.S. So they were completely redefining what action was. That, you know, oh, we're not going to use stunt doubles. We're going to teach the actors. To, the actors are going to do the stunts. The actors are going to learn like to do all the, the fight scenes. Um, mm-hmm. but the, there's nothing to really do, uh, like she's not looking to recreate action again. So, but it does fall a little flat. The, the action scenes are a little choppy. Like it's got a little bit of that Jason Bourne quick cut every, so you don't have very smooth, smoothly choreographed fight scenes like you did in the kind of original films.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. Um, and really what it boils down to, I think is confidence in the director's chair. Um, there's only one director here. The previous films had two, right? It was both the siblings. And I think I think they drove each other's art and they gave each other confidence. So they would hang on a shot of Morpheus for five seconds longer in The Matrix 1 than they would in The Matrix Resurrections. Um, the Matrix Resurrections actually features a fair bit of, f- bit of footage from the first Matrix film used in ways that I thought was re- at times artful, at other times a little in your face, but regardless – Um, And and it just looks like such a different film. It's a different color palette. It's a lot steadier. Like this movie is a bit quicker cut. It's a bit different. And I think it's because we don't have Lily Wachowski. It's it's just one of them and they're a little unsure. And additionally, um, like I said, Lana Wachowski has said that she has changed as a director very clearly as part of her um, growth into being a bigger person, right? Even transitioning uh, in, in her life. Uh, and and she said previously, apparently the first Matrix film, they like storyboarded the hell out of that movie. They had everything like down to a science. They knew exactly what they were shooting. This wasn't quite so much that way. It's a different creative process. And I think that's important to embrace as, as a director. But I do think that's where most of those uh, points on Rotten Tomatoes are getting kicked off because it's just, it's just a little sloppy. Yeah. And, yeah, and that but- does hurt
1: it. Yeah, there are a number, I mean, there are a number of, of fight scenes and you get, uh, you know, some kind of classic Kung Fu stuff that, but it's not near as, yeah, meticulously choreographed, you know, they would have long sequences of the, the actors, you know, going through the, the motions of, of a fight scene. And this, like I said, it's a lot more quick cut. It's less defined. And it's also more like, almost like a brawl. Like there's several fights with lots of people. And so they don't really have to focus on just like, you know, two people at once.
0: Right. And and again for 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 losing that quality of action, also worth mentioning, you're going to be losing a bit of that like over-philosophizing as well. Uh mm-hmm. philosophize yeah, I think that's how you say it. Uh like it's not so in your face with like the weird philosophy. You're not going to have the architect saying ergo a thousand times in a scene like in your face like it's it's much more laid back that way as well. Yeah. And that's a bonus. That that's a, that's a feature of, I think losing some of that action stuff. And additionally, you get a much more exciting, like color palette. Um, the, this version of the matrix, like is a lot richer and it looks great. Like lots of sunlight, like lots of, lots of like natural beaming kind of colors on screen, lots of oranges and yellows and hues that I don't previously like remember from matrix films. Part of that's because of the DVD grade also, but, because it's a different time and it's a different it's a different matrix. So it's right. a little different.
1: Right. And I, I remember reading or it may have been an interview I listened to with County Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss where um they wanted or Lana Wachowski wanted to use more color in the matrix. She wanted to get away from the green, which I've seen some yeah. people be upset about The matrix isn't green enough. Like you know, this is this is yeah. a new matrix. It's a new program. You know, does it have, like is your computer the same from twenty years ago? No, I don't think, think so. So she wanted to put a lot more color. So we have like a ca- character's hair, character like Morpheus is very colorful in this. You know, everyone in the original films had very drab like grays and blacks. Um, Morpheus uh, is looking awesome. Like he he's Morpheus has bra- the
0: greatest fits, dude. Like yeah, he did not red, have to go that hard. Red, he shows up, blue, yeah, oh my God.
1: yellow like yes, like. And and it's yeah, interesting yeah. Be, because it's kind of like you know Neo is trapped again, and they almost say, well, you know, the way we got you out originally, we got you out through mystery and theater. You know, we like I was this crazy, you know, elusive person you were looking for. Yeah. But we've already done that. But and he's like, no, <laughs> we got to be a little bit different. And there's there's a really great part where um, Morpheus walks out of this bathroom stall, and he was like, you know, I used to. Uh, emote and talk and now walking out of a bathroom stall that's how things have changed you know and there's like that scene cracks me up every time um yeah which which i love
0: yeah it's this unique like in in universe response to the idea of of rebooting something and restarting something and for a lot of people it's too tongue-in-cheek it's too much it's overblown it comes back on itself it's not funny it's not cool it's lame right I don't feel that way. I don't think Andy feels that way either. Like, nobody else is doing this, right? Go watch Ghostbusters Afterlife. Like, that—that that is a basically a shameless cash-grab reboot. And I like Ghostbusters Afterlife. Like, I thought it was a fine movie. But, like, that's kind of what people expect these days. And then there's this. Like, this this entire film, I didn't know where it was going. I wasn't sure what was coming. Like, i most of this movie is a bit of a surprise. Uh, it does turn into a bit of a... Almost like a bit of a heist film uh, at one point because, you know, you're you're trying to heist your way into moving around the Matrix efficiently. The first film, in a way, was like that, right? Morpheus and friends trying to get Neo out of the Matrix. And now that shift to uh, Trinity is different. But I think that's welcome, right? Like, we definitely don't want The Force Awakens. Like, you don't don't just want...
1: Oh, an that's, exact reboot of the Matrix. That's what I was g- gonna say. Pe- like we particularly complain about how much Star Wars refuses to ever do anything new and relies so much on nostalgia. And then we finally get a movie that doesn't rely on nostalgia, and people are upset. Um, but but I mentioned that there's a lot of lore. That's probably that's a good thing. But also, I think one of the other criticisms I have is there is so much going on. Like this hits the ground running. Like there is so much dialogue. Yes. Um, Kind of like the, the opening scene is kind of a recreation of the opening scene in the original Matrix, and uh, Bugs played by Jessica Henwick is like she she's British, she has a British accent, and she's like saying lots of stuff that's really important, but it's kind of hard to understand. Um, this feels like three movies in one uh, at times. Yeah. Like there is so much going on in each section of it, it's kind of hard to keep up with, and that's um, like I said, I think that's something that is difficult to deal with. You could have simplified it but I also appreciate them putting a lot in it.
0: It's true. Um by the time our characters are finally getting back to like, you know, the 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 being outside of the matrix, being in the real world as it is, you start to find out kind of the developments that have happened since the the previous trilogy. And a lot of those are smart. Like they they grow the world in smart ways, right? Like we're not just going to Zion again. And we're not just fighting Sentinels. Like, the world's changed a little bit. Like, technology has shifted. Alignment of certain machines may not be so anti-human anymore, right? Like, there's there's a really
1: cool... Uh,
0: th- yeah, there's a really unique technology now available to bring uh, programs essentially out of the Matrix into the real world in this kind of, like, reverse fashion um, that's kind of neat. Like, that stuff kind of works. But Andy makes a good point. By the time you get to, like where our characters are getting broken out of the matrix and things are being explained to them again. It's just like, Oh God, you got to explain a whole other world on top of all this now. Like the, the meta of Neo being a game developer who made the matrix in a world that may or may not be the matrix. And then breaking out of that to get into like, it's just a lot. It's a lot for one movie. Yeah. And it makes a two and a half hour film at times feel fast at other times feel just kind of slow and, it, and I think that pacing could, could use a tighten up for sure
1: yeah it also it, the, the last act is, is also kind of a big complicated heist kind of thing and it, it, it eventually started to feel a bit like Mission Impossible where they yeah. explain this like a really convoluted plan that they have to do and it's like well while this team is doing this then team B has to do this and then so team person C way off in the back can do like it, it, it feels like one of those films by the end it gets so complicated
0: Yeah, it it really does. It does get overcomplicated. And that's, you know, that's maybe a good spot to start to bring things around. Like, The Matrix Resurrections has problems, for sure. Like, there's a lot about it that can be frustrating, especially if you've got high hopes coming off like the previous trilogy. But I think where it works is in its, like, ideological presentation of a reboot, right? Like, in a way, it answers that in, in kind of the perfect fashion for The Matrix. It comments on what that means and what that is and and how we engage with that technology and entertainment now. And like the first matrix did that too. It just had better cinematography and Mm -hmm. had better action. And this isn't rated as high as the matrix on rotten, but it's definitely higher than the matrix three. Like, and it's, it's, it's almost as high as the matrix Mm Two. Like this is a pretty fine matrix sequel. All things considered. I think people just got really stoked to see what was next and they came in with the wrong look.
1: Yeah. Well, like Mark Kuramoto often says, you know, uh, enjoying cinema is a lot about what you bring to it. So if you bring a lot of kind of certain expectations and they're not met, then you're only going to disappoint yourself. It's like this has been compared a lot to The Last Jedi, which I, I was like, I love The Last Jedi. So I think that's yeah, great. That's, but that's a, lot a of good people,
0: critique. That's not bad. A,
1: again, a lot of people don't, but they don't because they expected something completely different. Um, so we kind of have that same situation here.
0: I think, uh, I think expectations. I don't know. You're right. I, I think, I think it's a management of expectations. Thing. Yeah. Um, At the same really, time, like, like,
1: yeah. I don't, I don't understand like how, you know, it's not like they made this heavily marketed. They didn't make this like a big event film, like, uh you know, Star Wars or, or Spider-Man. Or, uh, it seemed like they kind of held back on the marketing a little bit. And, you know, that's fine because it's, it's not that they knew It wasn't going to be that kind of event film.
0: Right. And like somehow that, that, Leaves leaves me feeling like it, it it does its job in a way that I didn't expect and like if I can go to the movies now and see something like I didn't expect and be taken on a ride that like I I wasn't sure where I was going like that's a good time for me that's that's a fun time for the movies not yeah. for everybody but uniquely for me um one more thing because we didn't address some performances uh, yeah almost everybody actually, in these movies yeah almost everybody in these movies that. really good yeah I I had a lot of fun with Yahya Abdul Mateen II. second uh, Jessica Henwick is actually really cool as this new character. Uh, I, I I thought she was fine. Um, yeah, <laughs> Neo and Trinity are uniquely. I feel like it shows that they show their age. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm not sure why that is. I, I I don't know. I guess they've just been both doing their own things. That uh, Keanu Reeves and, and I mean they're both Carrie in their fifties now. Just, yeah, <laughs> like, like you. Yeah. What do you expect? I, yeah, I I don't know what I expected. They're they're fine. Keanu Reeves feels a little offbeat in a couple scenes. That bathroom scene you mentioned earlier his reaction <laughs> to Morpheus is like almost comedy. Like it's, it's really yeah. odd. And I'm that's not so... sure
1: what he's going for all the time, but I feel like there's a lot of humor in this movie. And it, I mean, some yeah. of it is like literal, like borderline slapstick comedy. And like, I think that's another thing. Like that's not something you expect in this kind of film. And so it's like, it really throws you off.
0: No. And the main, yeah. And, and the old matrix films had that too. Like there's a lot of subtlety in those films. If you kind of go back and watch little subtle reactions from characters and, this obviously is not so subtle, but I I I think it's worth another watch. Yeah, and maybe I could I could get another swing at that stuff and see what I
1: find. It, it definitely helped to rewatch with subtitles.
0: I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, any any other thoughts or recommendations? The well, theater well, experience well,
1: versus HBO. I mean, well, well. To sorry to continue with performances. Yeah. Uh, the the new crew we meet we meet are are a lot of fun. I wish kind of we had more time with them. Um, we. Uh, we said uh, Neil Patrick Harris also, but then I I wanted to get to uh, a character, a, a familiar character played by Jonathan Groff. I love who, Jonathan uh, Groff. Who I uh, I don't think this is a spoiler. Who plays Agent Smith? Smith is back um, uniquely, yeah. and he has been res- reskinned. Uh, Hugo Weaving. Uh, he 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 wanted to do it, but there was a scheduling. Uh, conflict and he wasn't able to get on board. Um, and so they reskin the character, which is really interesting because when you think about it, these are programs, they can look like anyone. Um, yeah. And so Jonathan Groff, he, he actually initially plays Neo's like supervisor or boss at the g- uh, game development company. They're both at, and he's kind of, ke- you know, keeps his thumb on him, keeps, keeps, pu- applies the pressure keeps him in line. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Um, and he's eventually re- revealed to be uh agent Smith and it's, it's a really interesting performance because he's not doing Hugo Weaving, he's not doing Agent Smith from previous films. He's a new man, a new program, his own person, and it's it's really different. And that's one of the updates I like. Like he calls him Tom instead of you know Mister Anderson, right? Uh, and it's um, yeah, it was. A, a, I I really enjoyed his performance, and I Just, I hope he's back. yeah.
0: I appreciate that you brought that one up. I, so I love Jonathan Groff. Uh, Jonathan Groff is delight. Uh, Jonathan Groff, he, you would know him. He played the original King George in Hamilton. Uh, he's he's the one on Disney Plus. That's him. Uh, he is Kristoff in the Frozen films, uh, and oh. he is. I forget his name and Mindhunter, David Fincher's Mindhunter on Netflix. That series, he's the main character in that as well. Uh, lots of Broadway experience. He's great, man. I I, I love Jonathan Groff. So I, I, he's a lot of fun in this as well. Like I, I'm I'm glad he's getting some attention. I, shout out to Andy for, for pointing him out. Yeah, Jonathan Groff's awesome. I would have brought him up myself. But uh, his character in the film is a little exculpatory, so I didn't know if I wanted to get into that. But I'm glad I'm glad you stumbled over that landmine for me, Andy. He's yep. great uh Any other thoughts or recommendations
1: I think i'm ready I'm not sure
0: anybody's going to be surprised. Andy, would you recommend the Matrix Resurrections
1: yeah, I would especially for fans uh of the film It's definitely you got to be familiar with the the sp- specific of the first film uh but help to be really familiar with the world of the matrix um and I mean, I had a lot of fun. I've watched it several times. Uh, it does have some issues. It is a little bit. It is a little bit too long. There's a ton going on. It's like an exposition dump constantly. A uh, lot of new ideas, new lore, but it's a lot of fun. And if you can watch it again, like I said, at home on, on HBO Max um, and kind of catch a lot of the extra stuff, uh, I think you'll like it. So I really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend.
0: I would recommend it as well uh i definitely was hesitant to watch this i'll be honest like the the runtime was intimidating and i had just gone and seen spider-man again and i was like i don't i don't know if i want to jump in go to movie theater so being able to watch it like on hbo is huge if you're unsure about the matrix if you if you're thinking well they, they they seem to really like it but it's really long what if i'm not into it like watch it at home right take a break in the middle do laundry like take an intermission if you want like take it at your own pace like i i I totally recommend this movie. I think it's really cool. I think a lot of people might watch, it not like it, um, but just don't don't go in thinking, oh, go this with is an going open to mind. be yeah, a faithful recreation of the Matrix. It, that's never what it was supposed to be. Like from 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 the very beginning, it it, it is very clearly not supposed to be that. So,
1: mm-hmm. well, you know. the other the other thing is like people don't actually want new movies. A lot of times, they really just want to somehow experience the original movie. And the or just turn it up, which is what I think the th- the sequels did. You know, The Matrix Reloaded has everything is turned up to eleven, like the philosophy, the action, the everything is, you know, kind of turned up as much as it as it could be. And it's like we've already done that. And Lana Wachowski is very much interested in doing things, and she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She doesn't care what audiences want or like. She doesn't care what the film executives want or like. She cares about being an artist and making her vision.
0: Mm. And you know, I think that's that's what an autour does, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's that's ultimately a good thing. I don't know. I I I I I'm a fan. As as a person who watches a lot of movies, like I think The Matrix Resurrections is something something really unique. It's not a perfect movie by any means, but like I I'm a fan. Uh before we move on to our next segment, really quick. Uh Andy, I just got sent an article by a listener of the show on Twitter. Do you want to talk about this real fast?
1: What is it? Is it is it breaking um, news?
0: See the stream. Yeah, breaking news. Uh, Golden Globes take place without celebs, press, or audience in attendance.
1: <laughs> what? Uh, Are they gonna this, have anybody? This isn't, this isn't surprising because they actually hadn't. Um, they didn't have TV rights with anyone. They didn't. They, they didn't have a, a platform to do these awards. Yeah. So you know how would you, how would you have celebrities or in, anyone on if you don't have a way to broadcast?
0: Yeah, the seventy the, here the seventy ninth Golden Globe Awards set for next Monday, which is what six days from now. Uh, we'll highlight the philanthropic effort. There'll be no red carpet, no celebrities, no members of the press or audience members in attendance. What are they doing? Are they running a hotel be, ballroom? Like what is It's gonna be a live this?
1: stream. It's gonna be a live stream.
0: Oh yeah, on, on an iPhone six from from across the like. Oh God. I, are sh- they? Sh- I guess they're not streaming anything, right?
1: Probably not. Wow. I mean, <clears> okay. <throat> that's not surprising, <laughs> like I said, considering they couldn't get anyone to yeah. give them uh, TV rights uh-huh. uh, to broadcast the show. So if you don't if you don't got T V, why are you how, why, how can you do any of the rest of it?
0: We will totally be covering this. Right? Like you definitely I definitely want to talk about this on the on, on the show. Like Yeah, sure yeah I always
1: too. I always enjoy seeing how bad their picks are and how they've <laughs> and all the movies that they've ignored.
0: Oh my gosh. This is great. Uh Jamal, thanks for sending this to us uh, on, on Twitter. I appreciate it. Uh if you want to send us stuff uh at Offscript Film Review on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh mail at offscriptfilmreview.com send us send in correspondence to we'll talk about it. Thanks, Jamal. Uh, with that we should move on to our oh god I've done a poor job of hiding this not being very theatrical our death of cinema segment right in the middle of every episode we like to take some time or most episodes to talk about things that are affecting the industry right like maybe things that are hurting the box office or helping Uh, but typically in our death of cinema segment we're here to talk about things that are killing cinema of course right so with that Andy's got it Andy you want to uh, take this segment away please
1: it's time for the death of cinema So we're going to be talking about the great experiment that was the day and date uh, streaming that we got during 2021, which is officially over. That was only mostly a year long thing headed mostly by HBO Max and Warner Brothers, um, which is, I guess, considered to be a failure uh, at this point. Uh, But it was you don't know until you try. And uh, it was a big experiment. And to recap, that just meant that theaters or films were going to be released in theaters and on HBO Max. Same day, same bat time, same bat channel, and that people were – you could watch at home or you could go to a theater. What this mostly showed is that uh, there was just huge drop-offs in box office revenue going into the second week. You might have a good first week, like Black Widow had a a good opening first week at the theater and – Uh, being on Disney Plus, but then the second week, huge drop, like 60%, 67% drop-off. And that's been consistent for every film, no matter how big or small or mediocre. They mostly all had huge box office drop-offs, showing that this isn't really a good strategy for films. It's very expensive, Um, especially looking at the money something like Spider-Man made and then thinking back that wonder woman was released around the same time christmas and it was available on hbo max Um, so they probably lost loads and loads of money uh even on that but it did have it still changed the industry there this is still a practice that we will see from time to time and it's changed a lot specifically the theatrical window which is now 45 days uh, at least for hbo max and warner brothers a film will be in theaters for 45 days and then be available on hbo max zach what are some thoughts
0: Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, first off, um, I'm glad that people have seemed to have made it clear to studios, like, they want to have uh, the choice of where to watch stuff, right? I want to either pay a premium and watch it at home or pay the standard price of admission and go to see it at a theater. I think that's good. I think think that's pro-consumer. That's pro-competition. That's what this whole capitalism thing's all about. Right. Like that's, that's how we do. That's, that's how this works. It does give a little bit of power to studios, which is something that, you know, might, might, might be a little risky in, in the big grand scheme of things, but ultimately like, I, I, I think that's, I think that's good. People should have the ability to choose which dark room they sit inside and eat junk food for two hours. <laughs> and if you want to do that at AMC for $11 a ticket, or you want to do it at home for fourteen ninety nine on HBO, you should have that choice. I am a little bummed it hasn't been more successful (laughs) because, because like, if you haven't been listening to the show, like it has been like, like dragging, like uh, dragging a person across glass, like to get these movie theater companies to get in line with this idea that like, Hey, y'all don't dominate the space anymore. People want to be able to watch stuff at home. They don't like that. Like they, they don't like it. And, and the head of AMC has penned letters in medium about universal doing day and date junk and Warner brothers all, randomly decides, Hey, all our 2021 slates coming out in theaters and people had stuff to say about that. Like it's been a mess. I'm glad on the other side of that, that I think the consumer is getting their say, right? Like I am I'm, I'm glad for that.
1: Right.
0: I'm, I, I'm bummed. It's still it doesn't a I, I, I half step. I don't know. I, what am I?
1: I mean, saying. I I love the day and date release. Most things that have been date late like, released, I have gone to see in the theater, and then things that were iffy, like you know, uh, if you scroll down to the, uh, sorry for those, I, <laughs> listen, no, I forgot, listen, yeah, uh, yeah, the, but there's some de- the If you look at the HBO films, a lot of these are great films, like you know, Dune, Godzilla vs Kong, uh, Suicide Squad. Wonder Woman 84, The Matrix Resurrections. Like, a lot of these are things that, like, I got to see that in the theater. But then, no, there's a whole lot of these that I'm, I, no way would I have gone to see it in the theater. Uh, things like Space Jam, uh, The (laughs) New Legacy, The Little Things, uh, In the Heights, King Richard, like Malignant. These are things that I, I probably just wouldn't have gone. So I'm, I, I was really glad that I had, uh, the option. Um, it's unfortunate that it it won't change. I think the the model that Disney does is probably closer that that because for the, you had to pay the additional thirty dollars if you wanted to watch Black Widow at home, which is pretty steep um, in this economy. <laughs> but, in this economy, in $30? this economy, my god. But, but the, something like that might be more along the lines because Black Widow still had a very steep drop off into the second week, even even have so it it looks like there's just a lot of money left on the table however for some for some services it makes sense like peacock tv or paramount plus whichever one had um halloween kills was available if you were a subscriber and so they really pushed that so people would they would hopefully get more subscribers um and it didn't really help them, <laughs> but but it was there, and and that's part of the way you leverage this is you oh put a big movie on your service and then hope people will subscribe. And and Halloween Kills still made over a hundred million, uh, I think, kind of in its o- opening week, so it it was really strong.
0: Yeah, there's been some additional reporting on like piracy around this i don't know if that's worth talking about yet i I saw an article yesterday that said disney claims they lost like 600 million dollars on black widow getting pirated Mm -hmm. because it was so easily available on disney plus but like i uniquely fall on the other side of that if disney plus is like six dollars why would i ever risk like illegally downloading a film I think that's a lot of piracy that's already baked in. I think those people would have gotten that film regardless of where it was in. Yeah, I, it was on Disney Plus. If anything, I think making it available on Disney Plus reduces piracy. But that's my that's my very limited opinion and I don't know for sure, but I don't know. I just I feel Yeah, so about
1: the, that. the the thing with claims about piracy is it's it's really impossible to know because you someone who pirates a film, you can't assume that they would have gone and paid for it, you know. So it's it's really impossible to pin down any actual numbers and again That's some true. people some people would, are going to pirate no matter what you do no matter what and you know piracy has been happening long before things were readily available so like we don't really know it and it's and it's really not it's disingenuous to make say oh we've lost this much money like you you have zero you have right no like, idea how much money you yeah. have or lost. have
0: you cannot tell me you lost over half a billion dollars because people we're downloading a torrent of your film. Like that just doesn't, I mean, maybe, maybe sure. Like maybe that's how money works, but like, I just, I just have trouble believing that that's gotta be a high estimate. Like at best.
1: Um, but you know. I mean, I mean, usually a lot of times people, I mean, people get those hard drives that work at theaters, they copy them or the, you know, it happens. It just takes a few more steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Pirate's going to pirate. Like that's always going to be a thing. Um, ultimately. I think this is a good thing, right? like, I, I'm frustrated for Ridley Scott. <laughs> my my patron saint of Academy Award winning films or potentially Academy Award winning films. His films. all Get needed, nobody to go see it.
1: All this year, they needed to be so, so, sold to a streaming service. Yeah. No one was going to come out and see How, The Last Stool, like, which I liked. And House of dude, Gucci. You,
0: you could have sold House of Gucci as like this posh, how to do film and like you could, you could have angled it as like, have you seen it yet? It's on HBO. Go watch it. Yeah. I don't know. Like it could have been this whole thing. Like last duel's a struggle. I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a sword and sandal kind of situation. The, like Those are both films that, are now, that
1: would but... be perfectly at home on HBO. Yeah. And they definitely sh- could have sold them, Um yes. but they were so expensive. <laughs> uh, at least the last, <laughs> the last Duel one was a hundred million dollar film. Uh So, you know, you, they, no one was going to pay that. For it, so like they had to try, and you know, it was it was a dud but um, but but this has introduced a lot of flexibility because basically you can see or you know, you can predict how you think a film will do, and you can make a plan like, you know, do we do a simultaneous release? Do we, you know, do we just do the delayed like HBO Max is doing of 45 days in theater and then on HBO Max, or yeah. you know, or like or like Disney do okay, we'll do a simultaneous release, you got to pay. Or we right. do, or it's staggered, like it's released in theaters two weeks later. You can get it at home, but you got to pay. You know, the, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways you can go uh, about it. So I think it has introduced a lot of flexibility in different models you can use.
0: It's true, and it may not be as far as I'd like. Which you know, if I had my way, it'd be free movies all the time. Of course, that's not a realistic expectation. But uh, you know, shaking it up. And moving the industry around ultimately is a good thing. A, a, a small silver lining in what otherwise has been a really crummy year at the movies. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, life's not so bad, I guess. Uh, I guess we should move on to Power of the Dog, right? Oh, well, one more thing before we get there. <laughs> I, I did want to ask. Andy just confirmed that like, HBO is not doing any of their uh, day-and-date stuff for 2022, right? Like they're done.
1: That is, That's... The, right, that is correct. The, what they will be doing is the the 45-day model, so 45 days in theater which is still better because it used to be 90 it's days. it's still good
0: yeah right that's still very it used good to be 90 like, days
1: or more before it was showing up on hbo um so 45 days and then it's available on hbo or slash rental
0: yeah i, I I'll, I'll be interested to see where those numbers shake out by the end of 2022 i know we already have some reflections on that but like just more immediately like i didn't hear a lot about like Encanto. And then I saw it when it came out for free on Disney plus, not free. You got to pay to subscribe, not $30, right? Like it's just on there now. And like, it seems like there's a lot more talk about it. Like, I feel like I've seen a lot more about it and a lot more people engaging with it on the internet where it's available, right? Like the the, making these, make, making these films available, like in, in a more creative medium, like online engages conversation more. And like that, that in its own way drives marketing in a new way, in a different way than like you get from just theater buzz. So I don't know. I'll be interested to see where this ends up in a year. Uh, and if you'll be, if you'd be interested to see too, keep it out here on Offscript for more. Uh, with that, we should move on to God. I just have Twitter open on the show. I sure do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> excuse me. I uh, I don't like how blown out my face looks when I have bright articles open on the show because I haven't figured out my lighting yet. Sorry for those of you watching on Facebook. Uh, so I figured Twitter in dark mode would help, and it does. But now it looks like I'm cruising Twitter. Uh, Anyway, we should move on to our final film of the episode I'm going to be taking the summary on this So please excuse my clumsy delivery The movie is Netflix's The Power of the Dog 25 years since our first run together 1900 and nothing It's a long time so the Power of the Dog is a unique feature. Uh, Andy saw this a few weeks ago, and uh, he encouraged me to kind of check it out. I think we briefly talked about it on the show. I think at one point you you very briefly said you liked yeah. it. Um, but we had kind of a floating spot open for this week to watch after Matrix. Uh, this was available, Andy had already seen it, and he'd contracted a deadly disease, so I'm glad he's feeling better. Virus, I guess. Uh, I'm glad you're feeling better and you're okay and and I didn't want you to have to watch something else so I figured Power of the Dog would be a great feature to watch and it has been. Uh, Power of the Dog is about the Burbank family. George and Phil Burbank two uh, very wealthy ranch owners uh, in Montana in 1925 is the year. Uh, George Burbank is played by uh, oh god the guy that looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman what's his name?
1: Jesse Plemons.
0: Jesse Plemons, thank you, uh, who is a bit of a bit of a business side of the ranch, huh? He's kind of he's kind of chubby. He's a bit of a soft boy, but he handles the money. That's his thing, and 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 kind of the mansion. Uh, Phil, his brother, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, is the rancher side. This man is all cowboy, right? R- rubs mud on himself and takes a bath in the river. Doesn't doesn't care, right? He's he's hundred and ten percent cowboy. Uh, George Burbank is lonely and looking for love, and he marries a local inn owner, uh, played by Kirsten Dunst. Uh, Her and her son move into the Burbank house, and Phil Burbank, the rough and tough rancher, uh, doesn't take a shine to them as much as he'd like. Uh, But living out there, all of them together, uh, their family develops in some unique ways, and their relationship it sometimes turns charming and other times insidious. Uh, The movie is on Netflix. It is two hours long. And it's a unique feature. And I'm I'm excited to talk about it with Andy. Andy, what did you think of The Power of the Dog?
1: So I had heard really good things about this. And I, I started it. And it moves really slow, and I I stopped it after like the first act, which is about the first half hour or so, because um, it was really boring. <laughs> uh, it goes really slow, and it, it also is set up very stereotypically. You know, you you have Benedict Cumberbatch, who is kind of this rough and t- tough cowboy, doesn't like anyone. You have the introduction of of Rose and her son as well. It's very effeminate. And so it looks like it's going to be a certain type of movie. But so like, I, I actually stopped it at that point and didn't come back to it. And then someone else told me that they'd seen, they're like, you have to finish it. You like, it gets so good. So I was like, okay. So, so I gave it another shot and continued on. Um, And I really grew to like it. It is very challenging to get through. um, But I think it, it has a lot going on and has good performances and it's, it's not what you think it's going to be. Cause at first it looks like a very stereotypical story and cowboy setting. And then it looks like it's going to maybe do a postmodern thing, something like maybe Brokeback Mountain. Um, and then it kind of is, turns into something different even from that. So um, I really ended up enjoying it. And I, I think it's a, it's a really like complex uh, film and that just has a lot going on, but it's definitely very slow paced.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is definitely one of those like slow paced Oscar contender movies. Uh, this is not any kind of like exciting action feature starring Dr. Strange's own Benedict Cumberbatch. This is not like an exciting indie revival for Kirsten Dunst. Like it's much quieter. It's much slower. But I've been seeing it show up on top 10 lists, right? It's it, it's it's that time of year, and I've seen a lot of of critics and reviewers say, "Hey, this movie's really something special." Showed up on Obama's like films of of 2021 list, like he was saying, "Power of the Dog" is a film worth watching. So when Andy said the first hour is agonizingly slow, <laughs> <laughs> and the second hour is really good. Naturally, I was curious, and that's that's a relatively apt description of what's happening really the whole movie is is slow and the whole movie is is kind of methodically paced and it's telling a story that's very subtle uh it's based on a book written by thomas savage uh and uh it's it's so subtle at parts i felt like i had to get on wikipedia and be like what is happening in this film um but there's a lot there there's a lot going on and ultimately like this isn't so much like any kind of action western it's it's almost hardly a drama western like at times it's almost a thriller it's got yeah. this really fascinating soundtrack uh, that I think is worth talking about
1: by Johnny Greenwood. Can you, can Green you would... weigh in on that at all? I mean, yeah. What, so the, what's, the yeah the soundtrack is by Johnny Greenwood, who uh, famously did the soundtrack for There Will Be Blood um, and other big films. And he has a very unique uh, approach to uh, making soundtracks. Like, it's not like John Williams, where you have themes and melodies. It's very modern, very what we would call 20th century. A lot of just like it's almost like no like structured noise uh, to kind of accompany uh what's happening because it's a lot about like feeling and like you said tension thrilling yeah thrills.
0: And lots of droning kind of tones but on period appropriate instruments so violins and like a fiddle and um at times looking at these like big wide landscape shots out in montana uh it it feels almost like you're watching like the Shining. Like yeah, it, you have these creepy definitely. overtones just like constantly creeping over the film. And the Burbanks seem like relatively, you know, normal Montana, Montana guys. They're wealthy. Like they have a nice family. Their parents come and visit at one point, but like, there's just this air of like, what's the term doom for <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, like a lot of what's going on. Yeah. Like you feel like, like, like Phil Burbank. The, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, like Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Phil Burbank is, is like, just like brutally beguiling and like, you don't really know what's going on with him. And he constantly looks like he's about to pop off and he's getting drunk and he says mean stuff. And like, he's very clearly like this, like cut from the clay man, right? Like he is just this, this rough and tumble kind of guy, not what you'd expect from Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm sure that's why he was attracted to the role. And, and like, you're just kind of waiting for him to flip out on somebody, right? Like at some point you're like, he's going to freak out or like, he's going to throw a punch at his brother And that really creates this air of suspense over a lot of the film because these characters just kind of tiptoe around him. Like nobody really knows how to deal with the guy. And when when George finally gets married to Kirsten Dunst and she comes into the home, like Phil's not kind, and it's weird. (laughs) And like there there's there's a visible on screen tension between him and other characters, and it's present throughout most of the film and it makes it feel like a bit of a thriller like it really does it it's it, you're you're a bit like what's going to happen here you know where is this going to go but it's subtle and most audiences would probably just get bored um so yeah
1: yeah i mean i mean he's terrible to everyone you know he uh his his he calls his brother his, his brother Fatso That's um cool. he's super mean to Kirsten Dunn and he just he just straight tells like his brother he was like she's just here to rob us she's just like a grifter like you've you know congratulations on your wife who's going to rot you know is here to take all your money uh, he's really mean to the son who's like is a very effeminate and i i think it's it's he's supposed to kind of you know i, th- I think kind of be a gay character or like you're you're supposed to just like question For like sure. um yeah. and so you think he and he, who he, he is also very mean to and you think he's going to like flip out on him and again it, it set up a lot of things that you've seen stereotypically happen in lots of movies, but it goes in very, very different directions.
0: Right. Like you don't have your characters, you know, you you think of a Western film, you expect a lot of you know kind of tropes, right? You're going to have your characters galloping on horses over big landscapes, probably going on some kind of journey, or there's some kind of hero that's ridden to town. That's going to save the townsfolk from black Bart and his gang of ruthless thugs, whatever. Um, this has none of those things. Uh, it's pretty much one setting. Um, they, there are a few other buildings featured, like 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 Rose's Inn, uh, you know, that they visit, and, and the ranch, and kind of the manor on the ranch, and the barn, like, but for the most part, like, there's no journey, like, we're not going anywhere, and in, in fact, the journey is coming to us, like, the conflict is coming to the house, and, and watching these characters just kind of subtly navigate that, while also trying to hold up this kind of prim and proper expectation of a modern society that's expected to come in the New West that Phil obviously wants no part of, um, create some tension on screen. Um, Phil is not invited to dinner at one point cause he won't wash up and he refuses. Won't do it. I, I I'm, I'm not going to be that way. He, he fears this kind of modernity and, and Rose's son, uh, uh, Peter, who's, who's kind of a unique kid. He wants to be a doctor. He, he kind of, you know, is a part of that. He comes into the house and he wants to talk about science and dissect a rabbit and, and Phil's like, do want anything to do with these people you know like you keep waiting <laughs> for something to happen um and it makes for a, a very satisfying third act
1: yeah yes it absolutely does like you said it, it it's it sets up a very like you said a trope a stereotypical the way you've seen a, a ton of movies set up and it goes in very different uh direct directions eventually uh phil uh benedict cumberbatch actually kind of takes uh begins to take peter under his wing a little bit it, it kind of turns like you don't really expect their relationship to become what it does and there's also um chris that's kind of becomes she gets stressed out and she starts drinking and it kind of gets out of control for the other <laughs> yeah. half of the movie definitely too. it definitely gets out of control but but eventually it really becomes more about uh phil and and Peter, but not in a Brokeback Mountain kind of way, which I th- which is what I thought this was going to go to. um, But it, it's it's con- it's completely not that. Um, no, it's yeah, unique. It, it's difficult. It's, uh, it's just difficult to kind of say without saying.
0: Yeah, it's it's a unique feature that kind of plays with your expectations. Like you you kind of expect, oh, it's going to be, you know, some kind of western featuring Benedict Cumberbatch. He he looks like a looks like a a messy, filthy man in this movie, which he is, by the way, constantly covered in sweat and grime. My god. Uh it's called The Power of the Dog. It's going to be aggressive, right? Something something's going to happen in here that's like aggressive. Not really. Now, all that aggression is under the surface and like that subtlety, like those, those, those small things, the look that one character throws another character across the room without saying a word, like that's the stuff that I think critics really fall for. That's the stuff that people really like in this industry that that watch a lot of movies, those subtleties like are exploratory and they invite something new. They invite the audience to participate in their own way and perceive things, uh, you know. They, that you may read is one thing, and somebody else reads is another. It makes the movie exciting, makes it fun to talk about, but it also makes it a challenge to recommend to mainstream audiences because a lot of people don't go for that, right? Like they don't want subtlety; they want they want Vin Diesel to blow stuff up. That's yeah. that's that's the, they want Spider Man to swing in and save the day. Like that's that's the good <laughs> stuff, you know. I uh, I,
1: did, I wanted to talk about uh, another character we haven't mentioned, a uh, kind of looming person uh, called Bronco Henry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who is a deceased person who is who is referenced and w- apparently was instrumental in in teaching uh Phil what's his the brother's name uh Phil and Phil George and George. Yeah. George to you know I- instrumental they knew him when they were were young when they were you know first ranch hands and was instrumental in them becoming uh you know cowboys ranchers and being successful and and it's kind of a character that they constantly talk about in like mythical status, like the other ranch hands are like, you know, is it, did Bronco Henry really do this? Did he really, you know, uh, absolutely that, that kind of thing. And that also has, has a very looming presence over the, the entire film. It's a very important, same. Yeah,
0: even even down to his wonderful name, right? Bronco Henry. He's not, he's not like a Phil or a George. He's 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 a legend of something. They talk about him like he's a, he's a Greek god, right? Like mm-hmm. and Bronco Henry represents like number 1 and an intimate relationship as 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 a tutor and a uh, a mentor for Phil Burbank, right? This this angry kind of twisted sort of frustrated man, but also like represents this, this older ideal of the old West, right? Like when, when cowboys roamed the earth and, and Bronco Henry knew how to do everything, man. He was a legend. He could he'd kill a snake just by looking at him. Like that stuff is gone. Right? That's, that's gone by the old wayside now. And it's, it's 1925, man. Like, science is on its way in. Kid wants to be a doctor. Like, things are up in the air. It's not that way anymore. And, like, there's a visible frustration coming from, like, Phil's very being, right? Like, his character that, like... He's he he is being pushed outside, and he's left outside with the cattle. Right? He's he's not good enough for people in suits in their modern society. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting, like that. That creates tension in a unique way. Like that makes him an interesting, multifaceted character. That stuff's great. Like that 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 pops. That's stuff in the film that really works.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that.
0: I think that's possible because of good acting, right? Benedict Cumberbatch is really fun in this movie. Uh he's he's a far cry from his Doctor Strange, and I think that's a good thing. I honestly I was a little worried the accent was gonna be like exactly the same, but nah, it gives a little bit of a twist. Uh Kirsten Dunst is pretty good in this movie. I I she, I have <laughs> not seen her in anything in a while.
1: She kind of gets sidelined, unfortunately, about yeah. halfway through. We kind of don't her, see, see from her very much. Yes.
0: Uh, additionally, um, um, Jesse Plemons' character. I, I like Jesse Plemons just fine, but he also is missing for like a chunk of the film. Yeah, Yeah, so he's just kind of not around. Uh, Cody Cody Smith McPhee? Cody McPhee Smith? Yeah. Is that his name? Smith, Cody M- Smith, Smith McPhee. Smith McPhee. Yes. Uh, the kid from The Road, uh, the Cormac McCarthy film based on the McCarthy book. Um, he is the son, Peter, in this movie. He's definitely awkward and he's like tall and lanky and weird, but he also bears, in my opinion, an odd and unique resemblance to Phil, to Benedict Cumberbatch. And like, in a way that brings their characters kind of close together, they're both kind of tall and lean and dark hair and, uh, (laughs) eyes, eyes set just a little too wide apart. And, uh, lastly, who's the other individual in this film that I wanted to talk about? Oh God, I don't, I don't know. Is in? Oh, uh, uh, the 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 housemaid, Thomas and Mackenzie, shows oh, up yeah, for like course. one how, scene. How, how could we out forget? Out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, Thomas and Mackenzie is in this briefly. <laughs> yeah,
0: star star of Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho is a maid in like one scene. I think she's in it otherwise, but like her, the camera's only on her face like once. Um, just a weird. I don't know if she was just on set that day. Like I don't know if she's friends with the director. I I don't even see her listed in the IMDb credits. Oh, she's down there. Yeah, Lola is her name. Um, that's a surprise. So keep an eye out for her if you see this film. Uh, Andy, any th- thoughts on performances?
1: Uh, really solid performance from Benedict Cumberbatch. Particularly, there's a lot of Oscar talk about him. Um, same thing with Cody Smith McPhee. Uh, like we said, we don't see Jesse Plemons and and uh, Kirsten Dunst for very long in the in the film, where they kind of get sidelined about halfway through. So it's really about those two characters. But but he's great, and he's you know he's got a little bit of an accent, and remember he's a British. Actor, um, so he's got a little bit of a Western a- accent, and he's he's mean man at the beginning. He's a mean person.
0: Yeah, he really is. Like he's he leans into it. Yeah, he, you know, he's a bit of a he's not quite a method actor, but he he leans in on his performances. And this one, he for sure like is is going for it. And I'm glad it, it makes the film better. It makes it fun to watch. Um, Andy, ready for recommendations? I'm I think, ready. I think I'm there. Uh, Andy, would you recommend The Power of the Dog?
1: I would. with caveats for fans of bold cinema uh yeah so this this is a great film it's getting a lot of oscar buzz and oscar oscar talk it is a challenge to get through it's long it's a solid two hours and it is very very slow so you have to be patient with it take breaks if you need to but it's it's definitely worth getting through it's on netflix you don't have to pay admission to the theater to admission um but if you I would encourage everyone to get to get through it if they can, because it's a lot of. It reminds me of Phantom Thread, which I hated. Phantom Thread, but I'm glad I saw it because it's because I I was glad to be able to talk about it because it is like a co- deep and complex film. You know, it's like you know having to read the, the classic, like The Odyssey, or you know something like that. Like it's yeah. it, it's it's homework. It's it's eating your vegetables, but you're gl- you'll be glad you did it on the other side.
0: Sure, I've got to, I've got to watch Phantom Thread at some point. That movie is on so many top <laughs>
1: ten lists,
0: and you did not like it. I got to see what that's about.
1: It's a bit like this, honestly.
0: Uh, Yeah. I I haven't seen the film, but I would imagine it's a bit like this. It is bold cinema. Like if you're, if you're not interested in basically sitting for a two hour art house feature where like nobody talks for 10 minutes and you get long shots of the landscapes and people look, people looking somber, probably not the film for you, but I I think this movie's kind of cool. Like I think there's something kind of unique here. It's a really solid performance uh, from Cumberbatch that makes it work. Um, I can see why it's on top 10 list if you're curious if you listen to this and you want to know more go check out the power of the dog it's on Netflix you can watch it not not too big of a deal Uh, I you know not the easiest to digest and a slow first hour but a surprisingly thoughtful feature um, by the end of it like a a uniquely yeah uniquely thoughtful experience and, and I'd recommend it. And uh, if you have the means, I'd also recommend subscribing to Offscript Film Review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, YouTube, wherever you're at. We're probably there as well. If you listen to audio, we're available on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia. Tune in. Last FM, Deezer, CastBox, Geo I like We're on all of them. Uh, and if you're on video and you want to see us doing our thing, uh, we're available on Facebook where we stream the show every Tuesday. We're on YouTube where our archives go up shortly after the episode. You can find us on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, sorry, lost myself in the middle there. We're on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> we're posting our stuff on our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can correspond with us at offscriptfilmreview.com dot com uh or at our email mail at oscarfilmview.com. Andy i've gotten ahead of myself what are we watching next week
1: all right yeah uh so not a, not anything new uh even though we're into 2022 uh, we're catching up on some 2021 hot releases um we're gonna be looking at the tragedy of macbeth uh which is in theaters i think actually only for another 10 days and then it will be available on apple tv plus Plus And also Licorice Pizza, which is Wes Anderson's uh, latest indie drama, uh, which I've been hearing good things about. These are both theatrical releases at the moment, so you'll have to get out to see those. But that's what we're going to be covering next week.
0: Uh, I'm excited to see both of those. I'll be honest, right before we started the show, I said, Andy, what do you want to watch next week? And he pitched both of those. And I was like, are there actually screenings in Dallas? There are. So we should be able to see both these films, uh, God willing. And I'm happy to report on both of them, especially because... We're going to do our top 10 list soon. We were actually supposed to do it today. I'll be honest. I didn't have it together. I'm still working on it. And I'd next, like to see next both week. of these. Next both week. of these might yeah. be on the list. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Those, those both seem like confident films. But tune in next week for a Tragedy of Macbeth Licorice Pizza and a top 10 of the year. Going to be a red letter episode. Lots of good stuff. So come back and check us out. Subscribe to get the new episode delivered straight to you as soon as we're done with it next Tuesday. I think that wraps the show Uh, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Thanks for watching.